Welcome back to Psychic Crime. I'm your host, Nicole Mann, and I want to thank all of our listeners. As always, if you want to show your support, give us a five-star review on iTunes or whatever platform you listen to us on, and you can always show us some love by dropping by our Patreon page. The link will be below like always, or you can use Venmo if you would just like to give us a one-time donation. Anything would be appreciated. Now, this week, we're going to look into the Shiragar kidnapping. First, we need to look into northern, the Northern Ireland Conflict, or the Troubles. The Northern Ireland Conflict was a 30-year bout of political violence, low-intensity armed conflict, and political deadlock within the six northeastern counties of Ireland that formed part of the United Kingdom of Great Britain and North Ireland. It was a complex conflict with multiple armed and political actors. It included an armed insurgency against the state by people of Catholic or nationalist population, principally waged by Provisional Irish Republican Army, or the IRA, though it also included other Republican factions with the aim of creating a united independent Ireland. Against the IRA were a range of state forces, the Royal Ulster Constabulary, or the RUC, the British Army, and a locally recruited army unit, the Ulster Defence Regiment, or the UDR. Another angle of the conflict was sectarian or communal violence between majority unionists or loyal Protestant people and the minority Catholic population, which were strongly nationalists. This was manifested in intercommunal rioting, house burning, and expulsion of minorities from rival areas, as well as lethal violence including shootings and bombings. Arising from the Loyalist community were a number of paramilitary groups, notably the UDA and the UVF, the Ulster Volunteer Force. Loyalist violence's aim was to halt Republican violence against the state, but in practice their main target were Catholic civilians. Though not the principal focus of the campaign, the Republicans also killed significant numbers of Protestant civilians. The IRA called a ceasefire in 1994, followed shortly afterwards by loyalist groups leading to multi-party talks about the future of Northern Ireland. One thing that is important to note is the fact that the British used the religious differences in the region to their advantage. British intelligence used the UDA to carry out a series of bombings against locals. Even though it backfired, it took nearly 40 years for the truth to come out who was truly behind the bombings. And it did long after the conflict formally ended with the Belfast or Good Friday Agreement of 1998. The most, this incident is about the most famous and valuable racehorse in the world at the time, Shiragar. He had won the 1981 Epson Derby by 10 lengths, which is the longest winning margin in the race's 202 year history to that date. Following this triumph, he had four more major derby wins and was named European Horse of the Year, which is much like getting a triple crown in the United States. When he retired after that first season, racehorse owners paid up to $120,000 for shares in his service as a stud horse or a horse that impregnates other mares to create more champions. Eager to have horses from the storied bloodline, people eagerly bought it. 
the stallion had a white blaze mark on his face, or four white socks, or hooves, and a distinctive racing style of running with his tongue hanging out. He was a very gentle, calm, quiet, kind horse. He was owned by Aga Khan, a billionaire spiritual leader that mostly served is what are called Ismali Muslims. When he returned to Ireland after his first winning season, he was syndicated for $15 million between 34 people, each share being worth about $382,000. Six of the shares were kept by Aga Khan. He was trained by Sir Michael Stout at Newmarket and was ridden by the choir boy, an angelic-looking 19-year-old jockey named Walter Swinburne. He now trains horses in Britain. During his first season, he covered 35 mares, with owners paying up to $80,000 a time for the privilege of having a colt or filly by Shuragar. As his second season approached, Shuragar was expected to cover or um, provide sperm for at least 55 mares throughout 1983. He was thought to have a long and distinguished stud career ahead of him. A quarter of a century ago, the Baliman stud was shielded from the outside world by a five-bar wooded gate with a latch. Unlike today, there were no electronic security gates, CCTV cameras, or an intercom to gain access, even though the horses inside were sometimes worth millions of dollars each. Shortly after 8.30 p.m. on February 8, 1983, Jim Fitzgerald, then 53, the head groom who lived at the stud farm, heard a knock on his door. As his son Bernard answered it, three masked and armed men barged their way in and started ordering the family around. We have come for Shargar, they stated. We want two million pounds ransom for him, one said. At gunpoint, Mr. Fitzgerald, a quietly spoken father of six, was forced to lead the gang to Shargar's stable and load the horse into a stolen horse box that they had brought with them. By now, there were up to eight gunmen on the scene. Two stayed behind to guard the groom's family, and Mr. Fitzgerald was forced into a car. After a few miles, Fitzgerald was ordered to get out of the car and to keep walking, not to turn around and not to call the police. I can tell you, I didn't even look around once. I was just happy to be on the ground, he said in an interview. Eventually, he walked to the next village and rang his brother. Once back home, Fitzgerald found his family unharmed. He rang the stud manager, Gasalin Druin, who then phoned Shargar's vet, Stan Cosgrove, who had also bought a share in the horse. Cosgrove, in turn, rang his friend, former Army officer, Captain Sean Barry. Alan Dukes, the local MP and Irish finance minister, was then woken by a phone call from Barry, telling him of Shargar's kidnapping. But he said his first thought was to deliver the ransom the next day, so he passed the buck to the justice minister. It was not until 4 a.m. that the Garda, or Irish police, were alerted, and that one of the biggest security operations in Irish history swung into action. The kidnappers had chosen the day before Ireland's major golf horse race sale, when horse boxes were being driven all over the country thereby making it more difficult for the stallion to be found. Using a coded phrase, King Neptune, that had been given to Mr. Fitzgerald during the kidnap, 
Those holding the horse soon began secret negotiations with the representative of Aga Khan. Already, however, there were problems. The kidnappers mistakenly believed that Shirigar belonged solely to Aga Khan, when in fact, the horse now had 34 members of a syndicate who owned it. And they all had to agree. Even then, the consensus was that if a ransom were paid, every racehorse in the country would become a target. The kidnappers had also failed to anticipate the reaction of the people of Ireland, a horse-loving nation, to Sharagar's kidnapping. The IRA's operations were heavily disrupted as every known Republican stronghold and safe house was raided in the hunt for the horse, which in turn led to the seizure of several small arms caches. As scores of British journalists descended on County Kildare, the hunt for Sharagar turned into a media circus. Chief Superintendent James Spud Murphy became the media darling for his bizarre pronouncements and his determination to use psychics and mediums to try and solve the case. A clue? That is something we haven't got, he once said. Captain Barry, who was now 78, and at the time was the chairman of the Irish Thoroughbred Breeders Association, revealed last week that he had been working with senior police officers from Dublin on the case, and those officers felt themselves to be in direct competition with the local police in County Kildare. This meant there were two parallel investigations, with the two forces refusing to share information. Captain Barry's work and home phone lines were tapped without his knowledge, and by the Dublin police after the association put up a £100,000 reward for information leading to Sharagar's safe return. The police from Dublin told me not to tell Murphy anything, Barry said. Conspiracy theories soon abounded over who had kidnapped the horse. Some said it was the Mafia in retaliation for a horse sale with Aga Khan that had gone wrong. Others said he had been seized for Colonel Gaddafi of Libya in return for arms for the IRA. I'm sorry, that's a little too far-fetched for me, having been a child of the 80s. Years later, there were still whispers that Sharagar was alive and secretly producing foals whose breeding lines would never be able to be divulged. Most investigators accepted from early on, however, that the IRA was to blame. A decade ago, Sean Callahan, an IRA double killer turned police double agent, used his book The Informer to name seven former provosts he claimed had planned and carried out the kidnapping. The book identified Kevin Malin, a senior IRA leader, as the man who devised the plot. Malin, a convicted killer originally from County Tyrone, eventually became a part of IRA folklore after shooting his way out of one prison and being lifted by a helicopter from another. O'Callaghan suggested that the horse had thrown itself into a frenzy, injured a leg, and it was put out of its misery and was killed within days, even though the IRA kept up the pretense that he was alive. However, according to one impeccable source, a former IRA member who spoke through an intermediary, not even O'Callaghan would be able to know the full truth of Shargar's final hours because the gang was so embarrassed by what happened. The source, who was a close friend of one of the kidnappers, 
said the army council, the provost's ruling body, had sanctioned the kidnapping. Furthermore, by contacting leading IRA men in the county, the leadership had guaranteed the horses safe passage to a remote farm close to the border. According to a former IRA member, the kidnappers' problems became acute early on because the vet who had agreed to look after the horse pulled out on the night of the abduction. His wife found out what he was doing and warned him that if he walked out the door, she would never allow him to walk back in. The Sunday Telegraph has been told that four days after Shergar was seized and following extensive stalling by Aga Khan's representative, the army council realized their equine property was worthless and told the gang to release the horse. However, by then, Malon was under surveillance. The Gardaí were crawling all over Ireland and he felt it was impossible to move Shuragar or free the horse close to where he was being held. Instead, Malon ordered that the horse be shot. What happened next is not for the faint of hearted. Those who looked after and rode Shuragar agreed that he was a kind, gentle horse. But by the evening of the fourth day, distressed by his new surroundings, he was not badly injured. The source said that the two handlers, one clutching a machine gun, went to the remote stable where the horse was being held and opened fire. Shargar was machine gunned to death. There was blood everywhere and the horse even slipped on his own blood. There was cussing and swearing because the horse would not die. It was a bloody, bloody death. Several minutes before the horse, in much agony, bled to death. And so, the greatest racehorse of this century to ever come from Ireland was butchered in the same way the IRA killed many of its human enemies. The source did not know exactly where Sherigar's body was buried, but the fact that his carcass was riddled with bullets meant the gang did everything to ensure that the remains were never found. Many in the Republic, including broad Republican sympathizers, would never have forgiven the IRA and its political wing for machine gunning the equine pride of the nation in cold blood. This vivid image of how Sharagar died confirmed the worst fears of one of the most senior figures in Irish horse rating. He said he had long suspected that the horse in the hands of non-experts had met a lingering death crazed with pain. The man who asked not to be identified said that only an expert should kill a horse since there is a spot the size of a thumbnail on the animal's head which a bullet or a humane killer has to hit to prevent any suffering. The failure to find Shargar's body meant the only members of the syndicate who had insured the horse for theft as well as death or an accident were compensated by their insurance companies. Stan Cosgrove, now 81, who spent more than 80,000 dollar pounds, excuse me, 80,000 pounds, trying to get the horse back and later on trying to prove that the horse was dead, never received a penny. The IRA has privately tried to blame renegade members for the kidnapping, 
But Kevin O'Connor, a historian and journalist with the top Republican contacts, dismissed this idea. An operation of this intensity requiring this amount of manpower would have had to have been authorized at high levels. Jim Fitzgerald was dismayed when I broke the news about exactly how the horse he had cared so long for had died. The proud former groom still has framed photographs of Sherigar in his hall and living room. That's just absolutely not a nice thing to do, he said. Sherigar was a grand horse and he deserved so much better. Well, that is the story of Sharagar. And join us again in a couple of days when we explore the story of Munchausen by Internet. Since there are multiple kinds, we're going to look in one of the growing kinds, Munchausen by Internet. And in the meantime, I hope that you feel better knowing the how and why people do such awful things.